introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. start this week uh, and I want to talk about that in a little bit I also went back to school don't have students yet but we went back to school to start getting prepped and seeing what kind of things we had to do to make sure that we were being compliant with the CDC I'm not gonna lie uh, not everything was compliant in my opinion but I'm not gonna throw anybody under the bus so I'm not going to talk about that on my podcast but we did our best. I did my best. Uh, my counterpart did her best, and uh, we tried. But we'll see what happens. Uh, this week we are virtual for one more week, and then we start folding our students back in. So let's see how that goes. Let's make sure students are compliant, wearing masks. I would love to hear from people that are that have been back for a while now to see what's going on with them. And I know that. Quite a few schools have had some cases, and quite a few students have had some cases, and faculty, so on and so forth. So, uh, but enough about that. But we did have TETA this week, TXETA this week, and it kicked off on Friday with a keynote speaker, and it kicked off with Norman Lear, uh, which I thought was a fun chat. I like those things. I like hearing from the past and getting to learn about what the decisions were that they made and why they made them. Uh, there were a couple of awkward moments, not going to lie, with that interview with Norman Lear, if you watched it or if you took part and, and took part in the, uh, I guess, webinar or whatever it was or just watching the interview. Uh, a couple of moments that got a little awkward when he mentioned an Asian slur that his dad would use. Instead of just saying he would say an Asian slur, he actually said it. Uh, mentioned know why George Jefferson uh, the significance of him saying the n-word on the Jeffersons and how big of a deal that was in the 70s so on and so forth so uh, and then talking about why don't we just say it say the word say the word and it was a little awkward not gonna lie but uh, other than those two things for me it was fine watching that watching a 98 year old man that was born before the Great Depression uh, that was uh, already had lived a, a quite the heck of a life when World War II started. Um, so, you know, a different, completely different perspective, but uh, it did get in my house a little tense just by myself because I was the only one watching. But uh, I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but I surely did. But it was still kind of cool uh, to see somebody that has so much history in Norman Lear. And then and then Saturday uh, was great. It, I actually enjoyed going to some of these workshops online. Um, I started off with Digital Theater Plus and took a lot of notes because I'm not really a director. And the way that he was teaching about how to get some actors to move and do that kind of stuff, I've done that before. But, you know, he had some new insight that I just didn't know. Maybe for me, it was great. And for other people's, it was like, yeah, this is old stuff. But I don't know. Um, and you don't get that instant feedback because you're not next to the teacher's you just, you just do what you got to do. I took some notes, and then I, I went to the uh, BTEC uh, workshop, the first one, the Black Theater Educators Conference. It was an introduction to it, to me, and I believe it was just kind of like a getting-to-know-you workshop, getting to know what the Black Theater Educators Caucus is. A lot of very famous Texas theater legends, Yvonne Phillips Dupree, uh, Freddie Buckner, Ezekiel Morgan, uh, then a couple people from my district, Joy Hughes and Crystal Smith were in there. Um, and now I was the only white guy with a camera on. So maybe there were other people that looked like me that were in that group, but there wasn't a lot of people in attendance, but it was interesting. Um, it really kind of opened my eyes as to maybe what part of the problem is that a lot of people talk about creating change and supporting change, but they're, they're not doing much to educate themselves on how to make that change. And um, maybe it's a tough conversation to have, but you can talk all the talk you want, 
but unless you're actually doing something for yourself to make yourself, to get yourself educated, to be uh, more um, involved and just know what's happening with their the feelings that they have, the way that you can implement this type of education, this type of progress into your classroom, you're not going to know how unless you find out. Um, there's there's no white man, no white woman that is walking the face of this earth uh, that truly knows how the a black man or black woman feels and knows how to convey that in a classroom. Now, it's not my job to tell you, oh, well, I feel this way, therefore another person is going to feel this way. That That's not what I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I've heard, what what I've been educated with. But you, you can't just say what you hear on the news. Um, go talk to the people that are actually in the classrooms. You know, theater educators complain a lot about administrators, and uh, I'm one of them sometimes that have been so far removed from the classroom that they don't know exactly what's happening, but they're the ones that make decisions. Well, why don't you be that educator that goes into a black theater educator caucus and goes into the workshop and gets to know exactly what they, the message that needs to be sort of conveyed in your classroom? Why not? What's it going to hurt? So I was a little disappointed that I was the only person that looked like me. And I even put it on Facebook. And um, I hope that that next week, I haven't honestly checked the schedule to see if they're even having workshops next week. I know they had a few this uh, past Saturday. Uh, So if you get the opportunity to check out the BTEC or anything that educates you, I'm not talking to black people right now, um, talking to everybody else, but that educates you on how the that that culture needs to be presented and celebrated and included uh, within your classroom, you know, uh, then go, then do it, take the opportunity. Um, I did see a show this weekend, uh, and that was weird. I'm not going to disclose where that show was, but I'm not going to lie. I I went to uh, a theater company's space uh, planning to simply see uh, sort of be an audience member to watch the streaming version. I misunderstood. I thought I was watching something being streamed and just kind of sitting in the back because it was a conversion of a space into a black box, and it was really, really neat, and that all was really cool. But I walked in, and there was an audience, and there wasn't um, – it just wasn't done the way that the USITT guidelines have said we need to do them, and that bothered me a lot. Uh, so anyway, I saw a show this week. It's happening. Places are doing it. They're not the only ones. And sat there and enjoyed it. It was cool to see theater again. wasn't the best theater in the world. wasn't the most quality. But it was. Um, there were quite a few great performers that I miss seeing. Uh, I apologize if you can hear my mother making her espresso. My, not my mother. Ooh, that'd be weird. My mother-in-law making her espresso in the background. Um, but that was fun. You know, it was fun to see theater. The positive is it was like, you know, eventually you get lost into it. So it was very simple, uh, sort of a review and nice to see people perform. I know that the, the people that were performing felt really good to actually do it. You could tell that they felt good to do it. Just hope that everybody stays safe and follows those guidelines when they do it. And then finally, I want to talk about Charles Crone. Charles Crone is a 91 year old man that is teaching at St. Thomas University. He's the father of Julia Crone, my best friend in the entire world. Sorry if you're listening and you think you're my best friend in the entire world, but you're not. Um, But Charles teaches at St. Thomas University here in Houston, Texas, and has been teaching for over 50 years, has been a part of the Houston theater scene for 70 years, maybe, um, and is just a inspiration The reason I bring him up is because, again, he's 91 years old. There are some 30, 40, 50, 60-year-olds that are complaining about the technology element of of this virtual world and not being able to learn it. It's, you know, too difficult to learn and too difficult to teach theater and doing all this. Uh, Julia posted a picture of Charles on her Facebook page, and it blew up. It was an innocent post, and Julia doesn't post very much on Facebook, so when... She posted it. I knew, you know, in my head, I thought she'll get 300 likes. Well, it it exploded. 
ended up uh, as it stands now it's got 64,000 likes or co- whatever plus comments it went on to local news uh it went on to good morning america and it's just awesome to see that to see a man his age still doing what we all are supposed to love and be passionate about and not complain about it he's just doing his his work because he is so passionate about it and doesn't care how he does it doesn't care how he gets the information to the students he just does it uh and i think that that's just so uplifting i love charles crone um i've obviously known him as long as i've known julia and uh, uh he's a, an inspiration he was an inspiration before this before, he doesn't need to go viral on facebook to be an inspiration to most but if you don't know charles uh, look him up charles crone great dude uh super passionate i haven't even mentioned aaron brown who is my interview this week and i was so happy to get aaron i knew him a tiny bit when he was at pearland dawson but now he's at sam houston state university and i'm so grateful for that because i've got some great former students that are at sam houston Uh, so i i love that they're in good hands he's a super energetic very passionate has uh unique takes on different styles of theater, unique takes on how to go about to educate students, which is probably why he's at SAM and in one of the most successful Texas musical theater programs in the history of, you know, all of university. I don't, I don't, I don't know. All of university. That sounds right. For the sake of everyone here, I will stop talking. Please enjoy Mr. Aaron Brown. Well, hello. Uh, Thanks, Blake, for having me. Uh, my name is Aaron Brown, and uh, a little bit about my journey is that I was a, uh, I guess you could say a theater kid from an early age. Um, I have an older brother, um, and so he was very much the athlete. Like we traveled him, we traveled following him around doing basketball and baseball and football. And it was just one of those things I was like, I don't think this is me. uh, I was way more interested in uh, listening to Whitney Houston and doing all sorts of music and television. And I thought there was something weird about me for a while. I was like, what, what, why don't I like this? And it wasn't really until um, middle school and a little more in adolescence, uh, the church we were going to, they would they would act out Bible stories. And I finally got selected to go on stage and basically like improv Bible stories. And the guy that was doing was like, you're good at this. And so from then on, he always picked me, which made other kids angry. Uh, but it made me start to go, this is fun. Uh, flash forward to junior high, and I believe fifth grade, we had a teacher who was really sort of out outside, thought outside the box, Mr. Seabolt. And so he would do a lot of writing and creative writing and uh, putting yourself in stories. And we'd have to memorize poetry and recite it in the class. And I was like, oh, this this feels fun too. Um, and the next year was sixth grade. And that's when back in the day you could do drama festivals. And so you finally got to join drama club. And I was like, Okay, this is where it's at. And my favorite of all competitions was lip sync, group lip sync uh, back in the day. And I just want everybody to know, I'm not ashamed to say it, this was around the the pop buzz of the late 90s, early 2000s. So I had a mean group that did some NSYNC uh, numbers. Uh, girls used to like write their numbers on dollar bills after our competition. Uh, Save that for a long time. It was wild, uh, but it was something that made me say, I'm good at this and I think I want to pursue it. Um, in junior high, uh, I had a teacher named Judy Stallings who was phenomenal and really, really sort of put me on the trajectory of being like, this is what I want to do. In seventh grade, I didn't, we did a full length musical. We did Oklahoma, which now looking back, it's like, I can't believe she said, let's do Oklahoma with seventh and eighth graders. And I can remember being exhausted by the end of it. I was playing Will Parker and I remember getting to sing, you know, the titular song. And I'm like, wait, we sound like 20 minutes after this? Like, I'm tired. I'm tired. Uh, but it was Phenomenal. It was a phenomenal experience. Can do that and drama festivals and be involved and go to things after school. Um, 
and convince my parents to let me get a cell phone because they're like, you're always at school. Uh, and so I don't want to keep waiting forever. So call us when you're about ready to go. And so I was like, yes, okay, cell phone and after school activities. Um, and so I did that through junior high, we get to high school and uh, through a wild, actually in high school, uh, my freshman year, I went and um, I auditioned for a play. I think it was Desk Set. And um, I remember not feeling connected to the department. Uh, it's always that weird thing as a freshman to go show up someplace and be like, oh, this, this feels different. You have to find your spot, your identity. And so in high school, initially, I found a, a spot for myself in choir. Uh, I love to sing still, and a lot of my friends were there. And to be honest, the department wasn't super welcoming. I remember, and I don't say this as a woe is me story, but as a um, something that I learned that I would never, I would never facilitate an environment like this in the future was we we open desk set and we go to a uh you know we're going to ihop sort of thing as all good theater clubs do you have to find a place at 9 30 for a whole bunch of high school kids to go and uh as a lowly freshman me and a couple of freshmen were like okay we're gonna go they said it's for everybody and i remember like going to an open seat and they're like oh you can't sit here and then going to another open seat, oh you can't sit here and basically it was like the freshman ridiculed to another side table over the one that had like eight tables and 40 chairs or whatnot. And I was just like, okay, this is not for me. This is not for me. And a wild, and so I was really prepared, prepared to be like, I'm going to do choir for four years. That's fine. Uh, and that next semester, things changed. And Judy Stallings, my old junior high teacher, was moved up to the high school. And I was like, game changer. I love this woman. And uh, she went about the business of making a more inclusive department and raising the standard of excellence in the department and doing all those things that are hard work. Uh, you fast forward, and so I get more involved. Fast forward another year, there's some more shifting. And lo and behold, Tim Unroe is our new assistant theater teacher. And he, um, became an incredible mentor with me along Judy Stallings. And so I can say that I flourished under their environment, that they trusted me. They allowed me to, uh, they cast me in things. They didn't cast me in things. They allowed me to be an AD and sit in their office and sit in rehearsal rooms and listen to them talk about why they're doing what they're doing and what needs to happen next. And I can honestly remember being their assistant director and being and recognizing I have learned more in this show experience than any other show I've been in. Because it's not about me in this moment, it's not about what I'm doing, but about the group and the community and the overall production. Uh, and so that sort of shifted our relationship to more than just teacher, uh, to mentors. And so, especially with Unro, uh, he saw my love for musical theater especially, and he was, uh, he challenged me to be more than a fan. And so I'm like, yeah, I love this show. And he'd be like, okay. Who choreographed it? I was like, um, I don't know. It's just really good. And he was like, okay. Uh, who directed it? I was like, once again, I don't know. Why are you asking me all these questions? He's like, because if you like this, then you need to know more about it. Uh, and so I remember giving me a homework assignment. He's like, you need to go watch these shows and you need to research these. And I was like, uh, but I did it. And uh, I was like, oh. And we talked about the style of Michael Kidd choreography and, and video choreography and chorus line and dream girls. And he introduced me to shows that had black leads. You know, that wasn't something that was really happening in my school it was predominantly white. And so he's like, you need to know this show. Do you know who Gregory Hines is? Do you know about Brian Stokes Mitchell and Audrey McDonald's like, ah, you know, breaking my heart, listening to Parade, being like, I had no idea this existed. You know, while everybody else is jamming on Hairspray and Wicked, uh, which I loved, he was giving me the deep dive and I was into Parade and watching bootlegs of Audrey McDonald and Bryce Hooks Mitchell singing Wheels of a Dream and like changing my life in a way. But still, you know, we all praise Queen Audra. Uh, but I was just like, I remember as a kid being like, I have never seen this before it led me so much to show that like i was on a brian Smith mitchell obsession obsession uh 
and so when it came time to start looking for schools, uh, owner was like, you know, you should email him. I was like, what are you talking about? He's Brian Stokes Mitchell. We have to say all three names. I can't just email him. He's like, uh, I met him once. We emailed a while. And so I was like, fine. Sure enough, I email him. He's like, so good to hear from you, Aaron. Uh, I actually, I was like asking about what school he went to. He's like, I actually didn't go to school. I wish I had. This was my path. Like we emailed two or three times. And I was like, Brian Stokes Mitchell emailed me. This was so crazy. Uh, and so uh, it all led to Unruh and Miss Stallings being very much like, you're talented. It's more than that. It's also work. And you need to go do that work. Uh, and so when it came time to go to school, uh, I was like, where should I go? I want to study musical theater. That's my passion. Um, and so a series of events and talking to Unruh's wife, Amy Unruh, who grew up in Oklahoma, they're like, OCU has a great program. You should consider going there. And so I do all the stuff and I did their like early audition in November. Um, and it was, it was going to be expensive to fly up there for a day and come back. My parents were like, oh, wow. Okay. I was like, listen, I'm an adult. I'll fly up there, get a cab, audition, get a cab back. They're like, my mom was like, what are you talking about? You're going to college with my baby. I was like, yeah, but it's an audition and it's one day. I'm not going to spend the night somewhere. I can get to the airport to a college and back. And so my mom was terrified, but that was what we did. I auditioned for a day. And I remember being terrified because you go into these little practice rooms to like warm up. And, you know, I, I knew nothing about this. My brother had done at, at, uh, basketball in college. And so like, this was so different for our family and prepping for this. Um, and I should say, by the way, it took my, my junior year, I played the lead in that funny thing happened away in the forum. And that was when I was like, this is what I have to do. This is my path. And uh, it took them a full year from my junior year to senior year to let me go to musical theater school. They were like, no, business, uh, no. And I, it took them a year seeing me in that show and a year of me keep talking about it going, okay, we get that this is uh, for you. And I say that because in a lot of uh, communities of color, that is not a, that's not something that happens. Um, and we have seen how uh, auditions and different things like that have hurt, uh, pockets of representation, especially in the arts. And so I consider myself extremely blessed that my parents saw possibilities and in me and in this future. And so uh, it was a big deal that they let me do this. But walking in this practice room, uh, this guy next to me comes out in this like wailing in this opera. And I was like, what am I doing? And it wasn't until later, I was, oh, they have grad students. That wasn't another 17-year-old kid. That was that was a 23-year-old man singing next to me. Uh, but lo and behold, uh, December, we were coming back from some, we went to go see a play as a department, and I got an email that said, congratulations, you were accepted. And I was like, yes, done with the college search. I auditioned for one school. I was the school I wanted to get into, and that's where I went. Studied there for four years. Uh, I kept up. Uh, my relationship with Rowan Stallings and when it became time for the end, I was like, I just don't know what I want to do. I like the stability of a paycheck. I had done some shows and I was like, I'd gotten into the student production company at OCU and I was like, I really like directing. It's fun. I enjoy the challenge and the growth we see from students. And I was like, you know, that's what teachers do. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to be a teacher. Nice try. Fast forward a year and I get hired to work at Dawson High School with him. And so, uh, and Kevin George, we were a team for a year. And then Kevin George got a job at Sam Rayburn and uh, it was Unroe and I, and I worked there with him for six years. And it was an incredible time of growth uh, and a weird time for our relationship. We went from like student teacher, mentor, to friend after graduating from college to colleagues. And that is a lot of relationship navigating, uh, <laughs> uh, but it has been great. He's still one of my best friends today. He was in my wedding. We talk all the time. Uh, he brought my, my daughter her first kite and now we have to go fly that all the time. And so, uh, but with our working relationship, it was, it was so much a team effort. And not just us, uh, it was cool to be, he had already started Dawson. Dawson was in its third year, I think. And they had already had success in a lot of different ways. Uh, the students he had, the caliber they had, their UIL success, their 
their program success within the community. It was incredible. And so I, my first year there was their first year in the new building. Uh, and so, you know, I was always up for bigger and better. So he's like, yeah, our first show is going to be Beauty and the Beast in a new building. And it's like, oh, okay, yay. Um, but anybody has moved into a new building, you don't know anything about that building. Uh, and so that was a lot of late nights. I remember like we finished a rehearsal. And he's like, okay, we got to record lights. I was like, uh-huh. it's, it's 1030 PM. He's like, yeah. And so there were so many nights uh, that we would just be like, well, because it's hard work doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And was sort of one of our mottos. And so there were many nights like, well, I'm going to run to McDonald's. I'll be back and we'll record till two or three. And then we'll teach our classes at 6.45 or be here at 6.45. And then we'll do all this again. Yep. Uh, and it was just a way of life for us. I was single and not married and he was dedicated and we just believed in our department and we believed that this was important to our students and to our community. Uh, and not only that, the community they had created at Dawson was very um, familial. It was um, one thing that he had set up with the choir was that we are a we are a co-department. We exist together, which is so unlike many departments that you can, most programs can, can cite back to the year and the rift that happened that divided the choir from the theater department. And we fought like, uh, like marriages. We're like, we're going to keep this together. Um, we called our, we were ovation theater department and the choir department was encore ran by uh, Roxanne Silva. We called ourselves on covation. We, we coexist together. Uh, we can't do the musical without Silva and she couldn't do things at the production value she wanted without us. Our students were better with music. Her students were better with us and to up to do like her cabaret concert and to add theatrical performance and choreography. And so when you look at our scene, it's like, okay, we do our fall musical, our fall play, and then we do UIL and the big musical in the spring. You're like, oh, you do four shows. It's like, no, because we do the fall musical and the fall play, and then I'm choreographing uh, Roxanne Silva's choir's cabaret and giving her students like acting master classes. And then we all go to work on the musical as soon as that is over. Uh, and then we all jump into UIL while they're doing UIL choir. Then we all come back together for our pop show. We're going to have a pop show chorus. We're going to add choreography, all of this. And so really, by the end of the year, we had done like four musicals in two or three plays. Um, and it wasn't until later that we realized that that was crazy. <laughs> it wasn't until we talked to other people like, we don't do that. Why are you guys doing that? And we're like, is that weird? But we just loved musicals so much, and our students loved that base, our community loved that base, and it worked for us. Uh, it was what we loved is aesthetically and artistically challenging. So we did that for six years. Um, we did that with you, you know, we obviously had success with UIL and growing in that area, and it was crazy to see Unrose style with UIL and my sort of aesthetic and how we fused that together to go, well, what do we need to do? Uh, how do we grow? How do we get out of region? Uh, and so, and eventually, I think my third year there, we went to, I worked there for six years. Uh, my first three years, region, 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 years four, five, six, state, state, state. And so it was an incredible blessed time. Uh, we recognized the fact that we got to go to region at any point was a miracle. Um, and the fact that we went as much as we did was an incredible blessing. And so after six years, uh, I had been married uh, and I was like, I think I want something more. I think I need to do something else. And so I looked into grad school. Uh, I had gotten married that time. I'd made my wife challenge me to say, once this class that I was really close to is our seniors, I need to start applying. Uh, because I love Silva, I love Dawson, I love, love, love Tim Unruh, and I'll know I'll never leave if um, I don't start dreaming again. Uh, it was important that my wife said we can't stop dreaming. It's something we always tell our students, and I was like, I have to model that as well. And so I got accepted into Baylor uh, University and got my MFA in directing. Uh, I was there from 2015 to 2018. Uh, 
a lovely time, uh, incredibly challenging. Uh, but I will say all those late nights, <laughs> programming lights and doing things prepared me for three years of grad school, whether your second year, they're like, okay, you need to teach. And then you're going to be in class and then you're going to AD and main stage and then you're going to work on your show. I was like, okay, so I'm going from like nine to 1 a.m. They're like, I mean, if it works out that way, it worked out that way for me. Uh, and people were like, how are you doing? It's like, one, I have practice. I worked with Tim Monroe for a long time. And two, uh, I loved what I was doing. I loved working uh, with uh, my professors and my mentors and getting to get my hands dirty, create, you know, my own projects and be passionate and um, figure out what was important to me, which is what I think the biggest part of grad school was. One of my, uh, Marion Castleberry, who uh, is a legend in the theater education world. Uh, I was talking to him, getting some feedback. He's like, and I'll never forget. He's like, Aaron, you can't lose who you are in grad school. He's like, you have talent we want to just refine it and i was like okay thank you i thought i didn't become a new person so <laughs> uh and so it felt like that was what i needed to do a lot of what we did at dawson we knew was good we knew it was right but you're moving too fast uh with our schedule and doing this the production value and always on the stake we didn't always have the time to go deep in every aspect we wanted to, or to know the exact why, besides we know this works. And so grad school was time for me to go, why does this work? What is the theory behind this? And how will I break, why am I breaking the rule when I do something else? And to know more about, like I knew a lot about musical theater. Uh, I knew a lot, that was my undergrad degree. That's what we did a lot of at Dawson. But when we came to straight plays, I was like, oh, I need to do some growth when we get to these Greeks and these classics. Uh, and grad school, especially at Baylor, allowed me to do that. They are all about the artist scholar. And I was like, I'm all about the artist, the scholar part. Okay. Uh, and they don't let you, uh, they, you, they take two at one, each year they take two students. And so uh, they do a great job of marrying somebody that's maybe stronger scholarly, stronger artistically, and trust that the two of you will balance each other out and help each other in the courses. And that's exactly what they did. My cohort was Josh Horowitz. He's incredible, super smart. And his background was really opera and my musical theater. So we were always about bigger, better. Uh, like, how can we make straight plays more like musical theater and opera? Um, which was fun because it allowed us to t put ourselves into the work and not feel like somebody else was telling us how to direct. Uh, so I do that till 2018, graduate, and we think we're about to leave. And they're like, hey, want to stay here at Baylor and teach a year? And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, sure. Which worked out because my wife uh, became pregnant. And so it was great. We weren't moving across the country, starting a new job and having a baby. So we uh, had our second child and I stayed there for a year and I was like, okay, same thing with my wife. It's like, I told her after a year, I need to go. I need to, I can't stay in the Baylor bubble because it's comfortable. And I love uh, the Baylor University Theater Department and uh can't say enough about them and their faculty and what they meant to me and my family. And so, but I need to go, I need to go be a grown up someplace. So I applied all over the place like for a job and I am now currently working at Sam Houston state university. Uh, and I teach directing and, uh, assistant professor there doing directing, beginning acting voice one and some other, courses and I love it. They are a great program. It's a great marriage of Baylor and what I like at Dawson and they are a killer program. The caliber of students they have they have there is incredible. Uh, and as much as I love Baylor, I enjoy the diversity that I have at Sam Houston State University. Um, and so it's been beautiful. It's been a fun experience and that's what I'm doing now. Awesome. That's, that's the do, that's the outline story. Do you have do you have uh, former students at Sam like that were at Dawson with you? It is weird. My last year, um, I had one that I was really close to when I that year I left. Uh, he was a he was one of that senior class, so he was a senior um, at Sam when I got there. And I have another two other students. I think it's just two that were at. 
awesome, I was there. And so it's been great to like reconnect. Like, oh yeah. my goodness, we're all adults. Look yeah. at us, <laughs> the college life. And so it's like being on one of those TV shows where they're like, we're going to reboot it. And they're in college and the professor is like, this Saved is by the bell actually college real. Years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, this is really happening. <laughs> That's funny. Just, I, I had a, so that we might have a few people in common, but just at a, a shot in the dark, did you know Dalton Hutto? He went to uh, Oklahoma City, but he was probably right after you left. He's I don't former, think I do. Yeah, he's a former student of mine at, uh, when I taught at Morton Ranch with Pam Wilson. Okay. But uh, yeah, Dalton loved Oklahoma City as well. So it's uh, great. I don't, program. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's as maybe it's the whole Oklahoma Texas stigma. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not as pushed as much down here. Uh, yeah. uh, I know that there are people that know about it, obviously, but I feel like Oklahoma City is isn't underrated it's just not well known down here as as well known as in other places which is a shame because while people are spending tons of money to send them to the east coast that same education is a few hours it's, away yeah right it's yeah just north of us really yeah. uh literally the same caliber yep and so just i but you know if you're listening oklahoma City university yeah, yeah. it's out there it's great they're a Look huge sponsor no, I'm, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then also i i went to high school with kevin george i guess i never put the two and two together that or not high school college uh with kevin george so um we went to uh together so that's that's a small world but it's small know, world yeah. he's awesome <laughs> that's really so funny, funny. So uh, a couple of things that came out of this one, I'll start with some fun ones first uh, out of you describing what happened. I'm going to go all the way back to what you said about lip sync. So <laughs> uh, another thing you and I have in common, and I just, for some reason, this just sticks out in my head, but my sixth grade year, same thing. We went to like what we called a speech tournament, but now <laughs> if you called it a speech tournament, they would get mad at you because, you know, speech and debate is is it's whole a whole nother beast Very different um, but yes but we i went to welch middle school and we also had a heck of a theater department under gail silver and uh wanda harrell and just uh just uh, and larry dogslogger and a, a few other people that were very influential in my life but i did lip sync my sixth grade year with brian bormaster this at that point like we all knew he was going to be a professional athlete uh, you know even at 11 years old you're like that kid's gonna do something with his life <laughs> so they paired me with him this nerdy little jewish white kid uh, and we did uh respect we sang oh my a, as a duet we lip sank to respect and we put on wigs and we had black, like skin tight dresses and they gave us heels to wear and we ended up winning. And I don't know if we won because we were good. I think we just won because they were like, look at these two kids just throwing it all out there. Just, yeah. just, just doing it. Uh, yeah. but that's really funny. The lip sync thing. Cause how you kind of said that that was kind of your moment of like, this is, this is kind of fun. I, you know, I enjoy yeah. this performance cause I, I kind of feel that same way where did you go to middle school uh i grew up in pearland actually okay. so i went to it had just opened um oh my goodness what was it salvatura <laughs> middle school okay and then i went to pearland junior high went, west yeah. and to pearland high school i knew you went to pearland high school but i yeah i didn't know uh uh that so about the middle school so that goes back to a question i had as far as you you mentioned that kind of your beginning in high school was a little not favorable if you will yeah. yeah did that have and i know it eventually changed with with tim um and that team but did your kind of experience with that first little bit of time in high school influence how you treat the incoming freshmen and knowing full well that you don't want them to be to ever feel the way you felt as a freshman as well oh Yes, incredibly yeah. so. The um, it has been always one of our things, and I think, and I even think that as maybe this may be wishful thinking, but I feel like as a whole, we have decided like we need to be better about being inclusive and welcoming to our freshmen. That it is a lot, especially we were a five A or six A school where it's like they can get lost, and not only is that. Uh, detrimental to their mental health and emotional health, but it's also in a selfish way detrimental to your program. If they are not there at the beginning to learn what you need them to learn, 
then you're you're cutting off yourself at the knees because if they're coming as juniors uh, to learn everything, you have to cram so much information into them uh, from a very with a with a very short timeline. And so for me, I've always I was actually having friends with my uh, coffee with one of my best friends. He's like, you've always been for the underdog. He's like, not somebody that's that's not good, but for always going to find that diamond in the rough, going to those younger. I've always been prone to the younger ones to to go find those freshmen and sophomores uh, because they're not the jaded ones. The they are sponges. Uh, even going, I would go choreograph stuff at the junior highs, and we always talk now about going to your feeder schools and that sort of thing. Because I remember we had the student named uh, Aaliyah Scott. She was a. I remember going to a junior high event to choreograph something for the middle school. And it was also, you know, recruiting. We're like, hey, I also teach at the high school. We're having auditions for the summer show in a little bit. So, yeah, come audition. And this girl got to sing this solo. And I was like, she's it. She gets it. Uh, and that uh, she was an African-American girl. And that first year she was there, we were doing The Wiz. And she was a click away from being Dorothy as a freshman. I was like, y'all, this girl has it. She just didn't know she had it yet. She was still like cheerleading, probably half destroying her voice. I'm sorry if you like cheerleading, but like for a musical theater person, I'm like, why are you screaming every day? Please stop. Uh, uh, and sure enough, by her senior year, she was our Belle in Beauty and the Beast. And she just got off the national tour of uh, Book of Mormon. And wow. so it was one of, it went to University of Michigan yeah. uh, to study musical theater, which is a killer program. And I was like, I saw this in you as an eighth grader. Yeah. Uh, and that's my point. It was like, we can't just be like, they're freshmen. We'll get to them later. Uh, they are one, human beings. So let's never just dismiss people. <laughs> and two, um, they have so much to offer. They have so much to teach us as educators uh, that teach us how to communicate to them, how to make them feel welcome. And they enhance our department. We need them and their fresh eyes and their spirit, their willingness to work to show our upperclassmen that you are not the end-all be-all, right. to show that there are always more people coming and that you aren't entitled to anything because you've been here longer. You don't get to be entitled to anything because you were born first. Yeah. That's not uh, how we're going to operate this. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm all about the how can we get them into our program? Yeah. How can we let them know that they have a voice here, that we want them here, and that we want them to be here for four years? Yeah. Uh, that was really important. Yeah, me. that we're, we, you know, we're, uh, when I was at Dulles and even when I was at Morton Ranch, because, uh, I mean, again, small world, the, when I was at Morton Ranch, we did Wizard of Oz, um, mm. you know, not the Wiz, but close. Uh, there's one <laughs> big, one big difference. Um, but, uh, we, when we did that, we cast a freshman as Dorothy. Uh, so, you know, it was, it, and, and even at Dulles, I would always preach, hey, don't, don't get too comfortable. You know, there, yeah. there are kids coming, uh, come August, you might not be, you might be the big fish in the small pond, but you, you're not going to be the only big fish. You know, there are going to be yeah. some other ones that are fighting for that spot. So yeah, yeah I totally, totally feel that. I wonder if she knows, I have a friend that did the book of Mormon tour as well. Uh, you know, again, just my brain going, huh? Theater's so tiny. So <laughs> tiny, right? <laughs> and that's another scary that, you know, I'm trying to teach some kids right now that networking like don't don't screw up your relationship with these oh, people yeah. that are currently, even though we're not in a room, but you know, uh, yeah. uh, digitally or virtually, don't don't mess up your relationship with these people because these people might be the ones that are paying you ten years from now or or figuring out ways to get you paid. Totally, yeah. completely. Um, yeah. So and and that also goes to the point of speaking of somebody going back to work with their mentor. You, t you touched on it uh, about how your relationship kind of shifted from uh, teacher mentor to um, uh, a friend to then a colleague. Was there ever, and, and, and I know you had a very a thousand more positive uh, experiences with Tim than negative, but was there ever a time that you felt, maybe I'm taking this for granted, uh, that that I know that he's still going to be my friend later, or he's still going to be my mentor later. Uh, because I know like, again, personal experience, uh, Pam Wilson and I, we never had a, like a, a boxing match by any means, but there were times when 
and she was my mentor that mm-hmm. I, I just didn't get a lot. We just didn't had a moment of right now. I just don't want to be next to you. <laughs> was it, was there ever that moment that you had with Tim that he would also probably be like, yeah, that wasn't our brightest, uh, shining moment. Yeah. The cool thing with Tim, uh, it's funny that you say Tim because I always just call him Unreal. The uh, for years yeah, and yeah, the, uh, <laughs> um, we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing with him is that he doesn't feel the need to mince words, and so especially if you're in close relationship with him, he rather let's talk it out, and that's something he's taught me because. I was the boy who grew up in church is like, well, let's just not, let's just talk around a problem and I'll just go off and, and deal with it later. And so uh, like I taught in a different classroom, but in the office of the theater room, like we had two desks that faced each other, which led to lots of conversations Uh, and our personalities while are great. We also are different in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And so like, I'm a worker, a worker. He's like, you want to talk about this? I'm like, no, we talked about it for four days. I don't need to talk about this again. He's like, yeah, I feel like we need to talk about it. And not even like, he's like, let's just talk about this episode of Glee that you like so much. Cause Glee came out while I was working there. And it's like, I don't want to do this again. He's like, it feels all auto too. And so we would just have weird conversations and things like that. But of course, uh, that is a really close, I think working in a theater department where you're together that much as we always like to say, well, all the other sports had a season, we're all year round. And so we're always, and the stress levels are always varying. Uh, and so we had our moments and we would work through them and talk through them. And he has taught me how to face disputes head on and not to allow them to linger, to not like, well, I'm going to hold this against you for months. It's like, okay, uh, I need to tell you that hurt my feelings right. and I need to explain why. Um, and I need to, and then I need to apologize for hurting your feelings. And so it was like that. Uh, it's a really close, intimate relationship when you're two deaths staring at each other for six years. (laughs) Um, it's, it's a lot. And, uh, you're dealing with each other's ups and downs of your own personal lives as well as professionally and, and him, you know, some of our candid conversations of, in the beginning, especially, like, I was just that fresh out of college, like, I want to create something of my own, and I had to realize that, whoa, whoa, whoa there, young whippersnapper, you need yeah. to learn a few things. Uh, and we had to have those conversations, like, I will give you what you are ready for, but you're not, you don't know anything about this yet. Yeah. And that hurt, because, like, don't you trust me? We've known each other for this long. It's like, I do, but because I love you, yeah. you need to wait. Yeah. And it took me a while to realize that. And it, it worked out great for both of us. We, I had the time to grow and learn what I needed to learn. And he had the time to teach it to me. He also had the time to know that there were some things that I did better than him. Uh, And we got to figure out how our working relationship, much like a marriage, is like, okay, I'm going to do this and you're going to do this. We have a, we had a shorthand. We'd be like, okay, I'm going to, like, we, people would listen to us. We wouldn't finish sentences. We'd be like, no, 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 no. okay. And our to-do lists that were like, okay, this show is sucking right now. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to create a four-day plan. And so we're like, you think about what needs to go on the four-day plan. And then we would go about that business. And he can become really, like, finite and, like, really sure. upset with the minute details. And I'd be like, listen. And I'm like the timetable guy. I'm like, we need the maximum results in the least amount of time. And so it was like, I feel you, but we can come back to that. We only gave ourselves 22 minutes to do this. Right. He's like, 22? I was like, yeah, 22. That's it. And so I was always like, the schedule, looking at it. And so we balanced each other out in that way. Uh, and it was a beautiful partnership. Yeah. It still is. I still call him and ask about ideas when I'm working on things and yeah, his great. input and shows I'm thinking about doing, even at Sam. It's like, what do you think about this show? And, He's very uh, it's it's been great, and I'll and I I'll be candid. One of the, the hardest part wasn't our relationship with Silva; it was the outside world. Sure, um, because so often uh, I'm being a voice for assistance. Is that everybody's like, oh, look at what Tim did. Yeah, look at what Tim did. Yeah, and yeah. even to this day, they're like, look at what Tim did there. And it's like Tim wasn't the only person in that room. Right, and Tim uh, says that, and and we have had conversations about how. That wasn't our narrative. 
that was because whenever we talk, we're like, we're a team. Right. This stuff didn't happen without both of us being there. Nothing happened in Ovation without us both working on it, both right. of our hands. And it wouldn't have been the same if we weren't. Uh, and so it was only, and I think about that now when I go, I'm an OAP adjudicator. I try to make a point to look at everybody on those teams. So when they're like three directors walking to a room, two directors, I was like, I recognize all of you are playing this. Because uh, I remember walking to those rooms and being invisible to people. They're like, oh, you're the assistant? Like, literally, I don't have a name. Yeah. They would act like they haven't seen me before. I was like, this is year four for me. Like, yeah. I've, it would take, and it would take some people yeah. till year four or five, like, oh, yeah, Aaron. It's like, yeah. yeah. And I'm more than, I don't go get his coffee. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm not his <laughs> personal assistant. I work with the students and right. help direct shows. Uh, so I say that to say, like, recognize that teams are teams uh, for a reason, especially if they're healthy. Like, yeah. And we were a healthy team. And yeah. even Silva to that degree that like what she was doing for our musicals allowed us to even be successful in UIL because right. we didn't have to worry about parts of our show. Uh, so that we called ourselves a trio. And that was literally what made Oncovation work for yeah. so many years. Yeah, I remember uh, my, my seven years at Dulles, four of those years, Melanie Burke was with me and I, I directed one one act play when, when I was with her and it was the first one and she had to come in and change it <laughs> because it was just not, this just not my forte. I didn't, I didn't yeah. go to high school. I didn't, I've never really been a director. I like it, but it's just not my thing. And so I remember, uh, kind of starting to feel her, uh, animosity or anger or whatever it was because the director would always, or not the director, the adjudicator would always direct their attention to me because my name was listed first uh, for the for like the first two years, and then I realized that I I should take very little credit for this. Um, maybe I did some cool lighting for it, but that was about it. She <laughs> she did you know ninety percent of the grunt work, but I would get all the attention, and I'd be like, I didn't make that decision. And they would be like, Why do, you know why did you put the kid with that kid, and then you did this moment? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> look, look over there like like she's she's the one that did all this you know like um yeah. uh like stop stop ignoring the fact i like that stop ignoring the fact that there's a team usually but um yeah. i'm gonna get off the tim boat uh after this question but this isn't really yeah. this isn't really about tim as much as about you but you also mentioned that he kind of pushed you to go do research you know go find more about about yeah. a show uh do you remember this this is pulling this might be pulling out the weeds now uh do you remember what your favorite musical was before pre-tim and then what it eventually became because he kind of pushed you to explore more content you, you said question. ragtime and that's my favorite musical of all time so when you said the brian stokes mitchell the audra mcdonald like i mean that i i'm not kidding a week ago we had wheels of a dream just on loop on our i, I can't say on what because then she'll say something to me like i, I got so, you. you know the <laughs> yeah. a l e x a but um but anyway that so that that's just that's our jam I, I mean we both my wife and i just adore that musical but go back to the question i i, I was trying to stall to, to give you some time to think about it <laughs> i appreciate the song the what was interesting was i had choreographed the junior high show as a student uh and uh they had given me a gift card to like barnes and noble for choreographing the show and so the first two cast albums i ever bought were hairspray and wicked which i'm like they're still good choices to this day uh and so probably one of those uh and side note like we took a trip to new york and i got to like we got to pick one of our shows and I convinced Unro, uh, I was like, let's go see Wicked. It was the year it came out. So before it won its Tony, we saw the original cast, he and I. Uh, and that was one of the most special moments I've ever had. There's my first trip to New York City, we got to see it. And so probably Wicked, uh, maybe Hairspray was one of my favorite shows. Uh, and afterwards, I'd probably say, like I was already on Ragtime, uh, but parade parade was the one that made me go. Yeah. There's more, there's more to this musical theater thing than I thought. Right. Uh, Cause it was so smartly done and so dark. Like obviously 
ragtime is dark too, but it's so epic and still sort of hope filled and you don't get that in parade. So I think listening to parade and just being wrecked at the end of it, I was like, Oh, have you done parade? I have not. It is on my list. Like I keep a running (laughs) list of shows to do and it is on that list. Uh, Right now, I'm like 2020 is too heavy. It's got to go the back burner. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. need I need to do some hairsprays and some yeah. some some hopeful things for yeah, the world. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Parade get. might be <laughs> might yeah. be a little bit much right yeah. now. Yeah, so no, that's funny. Uh, yeah. So you you mentioned that you emailed Brian Stokes Mitchell. Um, one of the things we're doing right now in Fort Bend is doing a, an artist spotlight every week. Focusing oh, cool. on a BIPOC, uh, LGBTQ, uh, Asian, uh, Indian, you know, just every cool. everything that's not white male, right? <laughs> um, and so one of the things that I've taken on is emailing or sliding into a DM or whatever with current, like, playwrights and actors. I've tried Audra McDonald. I've tried Lin-Manuel. I'm going to keep trying. Why not? But yes. one thing that I have told and that just kind of hit a nerve with me when you said this is that he told, he encouraged, just email him. What's it, what's it going to yep. hurt? Uh, yep. So I'm trying to get my students right now to say, if you want to learn more about these people, the ones that are living, obviously, I mean, don't email Lorraine Hansberry, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, um, but if you want to get a hold of these people, now's the best time ever, like to try yeah. to just get, don't harass them literally, but you know, in a, in a kind of figurative way, if you want to get to know more about these people, do it. So what was that moment like? Cause, cause I kind of want to play this for my students and be like, <laughs> look, this can happen. And it, and, um, when you got a response from him, uh, were you kind of like checking to see if like, did I email the right, was it, is this spam? Like what, you know, I, did you- like it did, it was one of those, like, it wasn't obviously immediately. He's actually a busy person. Uh, but I remember when I got it, I was like, ah, like, like screaming, like that ecstatic, like grinning from eaters, like Brian Stokes Mitchell emailed me. Uh, and it was, it was, what was so cool is like, it wasn't a one line, like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't go to school. Best of luck. Like it was a thoughtful response. And I responded to him. I think he responded again. And so it was, it was, it was encouraging because he was everything I wanted to be. Uh, I mean, still is, let's be honest. He's he's incredible. And for me to see this African-American male who I loved him on Ragtime. And I remember watching the Tony Awards when he, see, when he sang um, The Impossible Dream and being like, yes, everything you are, yes. And, and feeling in my spirit like, this is what I needed to see to know that it's okay for me to go study musical theater, that representation matters. That was something that we talked about at Dawson, how we would diversify uh, our stage to look more like our school demographic. And it's still the battle I fight when I'm directing professionally, when I'm, you know, casting shows at Sam. It's something that really we all should think about. I think uh, there was one time, uh, we walked into a one act play competition and somebody said, Oh, this must be Dawson. It's so diverse. And it was one of those offhanded sort of comments yeah. that I'm sure they meant jokingly, but I was like, you're right. Yeah. And thank you. Yeah. Because yeah. while you try to say it as a joke or as something ridiculous, we're like, we actually represent the way the world should look. Yeah. And your stage could look like this if you put some work into it. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit of shade, but if you're going to be dismissive of representation, I don't have time for you. Right. A hundred percent. No. Yeah. I mean that, that, that's everybody. I, hopefully everybody, if they don't know that learns to know that, you know, or eventually grows into that. So, uh, I'm going to wrap up with this question and, and I want it to turn into advice. (laughs) Okay. So we'll see how this goes. Okay. So, uh, I just had a conversation yesterday with um, another teacher, somebody in my district who is highly respected, uh, one of the best middle school teachers I think you'll ever find uh, in this state, at least. And my wife is a middle school teacher, and I think she's, I think the world of her as well. So, But it wasn't my wife. Um, <laughs> and we were talking about how they were raised in high school to believe that the only way you're going to learn about theater 
is by doing it on stage, by being in a show. Okay. Yeah. She is the opposite now because of that. She's a phenomenal classroom teacher. Um, yeah and gets lots of results from kids, very successful students that go on to high school and beyond, um, but doesn't put on the big, you know, badass, amazing productions like she was taught in high school. Uh, So her her mindset has changed. So for you, you mentioned earlier, and this is why I asked this, you mentioned earlier that you were in quite a few shows, and I don't think anybody could, could argue that you don't, that you won't learn anything by doing. I don't think that's the argument, but is there, is there a place to learn how to do theater the right way in the classroom and never have never stepped foot on a stage on the middle school and high school level? Now, not college, because I know college is different. Uh, but in the middle school and high school world, do you think that a student could leave a program never having done a show, but still being, a successful theater kid uh, in college and beyond? Uh, that is an interesting question. <laughs> it's um, a rabbit hole for sure. <laughs> it is. Um, there, and it sort of speaks to the moment we're in right now because there are so many seasons that are getting canceled or you know, we're doing zoom theater and whatever that means and what it looks like and is in some ways changing the definition of what theater is uh maybe for a little bit maybe for you know a longer lasting period uh after we're even back but there is a i would argue that and we've sort of had this conversation at sam dr uh vicky lance is she's over theater education and we've she and I have had this conversation recently as well. It's that where are we placing value and weight? And so I think in a ideal program, they complement each other. The classroom and the stage should reinforce one another. I think what we get more often is the stage is where everything of value happens and you can learn a few things in the classroom, especially if you're design, right. design tech. Um, but if you're a performer, the stage is where everything happens. Yeah. And I think that creates an unhealthy attitude and, and it belittles and narrows the view of what theater actually is because theater then only becomes performance. Right. And we leave out uh, theater criticism. We leave out understanding uh, who these playwrights are, play analysis, which I would actually argue is the most important thing we can teach a performer or a designer. I t- all the time when I'm uh, with my classes, uh, I'm like, when I teach directing, I'm like, this really comes down to play analysis. Right. So I, I was like, yeah, that nine o'clock class you never wanted to go to as a freshman, <laughs> that if you didn't pay attention is what's going to screw you up in this class. Right. And then, oh man, I was like, yeah, you're going to have to go relearn some <laughs> things about play analysis if you slept through it. But they have to work together, in my opinion. Um, and I and I hear, I can hear somebody saying, like, you don't have to get on stage. And I think that is true. But I also think you limit the application and therefore uh, how that knowledge seeps into the bones. Uh, that we have to sort of put theory to practice and that was sort of the idea behind my time at Baylor was that I knew a lot about performance and I knew I needed to up my classroom time but I also knew that I needed to take what I was learning this classroom and apply it so it wasn't just knowledge but it was something to be enacted that I needed to turn this theory into a concept that could be put into production Uh, and so I think marrying those two together is vital uh, I think it's like working out your right arm and never working out your left. Yeah. And so it's just like, they can both be okay, but you also are a little lopsided. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's tricky. <laughs> that's tricky. But I also, but I do firmly believe that we don't place enough emphasis on what's happening in that classroom right. often. I think that's where we fall short. And that creates this sort of sense that performance is the be all end all. And if I am not 
getting cast as the lead, I don't have a future in theater. And that is unhealthy. Right. And that's what we see on a collegiate level. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, this is one moment in time and you're going to go, it's like, listen, you can get a theater degree and not be a performer. Yeah. You can be a theater degree and be a kick butt designer or to be a critic that actually knows what they're talking about yeah. or go be a dramaturg someplace. We need way more of those. We need people that understand how, you know, and looking at theaters, I, I wish people would look at staffs at theaters, you know, when they come back, especially go like, oh, look, we need somebody in charge of education. We need somebody in charge of outreach. We need people that are business minded, that love theater, that can go raise money and for us. And we need artistic directors and we need a whole bunch of people that aren't on stage. Yeah. That is one small amount of what is happening uh, in the industry. We need to fill all these roles with people that understand what the art form is supposed to be instead of having us having to go pluck out a business person that saw a play when they were 12. It was like, yeah, I've always just liked it as a hobby. Yeah. Imagine what that person is if they have a degree and an understanding of business are playing that role. Right. Minor wisdom.